I've shut the office door. Hopefully the dog won't bark, all those things. Good for you. What kind of dog do you have? She is a little mutt. I mean, we know the mom was a Yorkie. We have no idea what the dad was. She just turned 11, actually, a couple of weeks ago. She's like 14 pounds of like, she looks like a Yorkie cross with like a schnauzer or a Karen Terrier or something. Yeah, well, I've got a black Labrador retriever upstairs and a rescue dog that we know. Well, we think mom was a it's a it's like a pit bull, but not a pit bull. I forget what it's uh, what breed. Like it American is. Staffordshire Terrier. Yeah, or Staffordshire Terrier. Yes. Very good. Uh-huh. And dad has to be a lab because she's got more webbing on her toes than Aquaman. And, you know. <laughs> I love dogs and I, I love labs and I love I love both those little miscreants. But, you know, they keep my life interesting, to say the least. Yes, we we only have fur babies here. We have Chloe at the house and then I have a horse named Diva. She's close by at a barn. We don't keep her at the house or anything. So those are our fur babies. Well, that's wonderful. And I think it's such an important part to keep yourself sane is to <laughs> not just be talking to people because people will drive you insane. Yeah. Oh, a thousand percent. But I do talk to my animals like they're people. Well, I do too. And frankly, I talk to them more than I do my wife. (laughs) I mean, there are days, many days where I think I like the animals better than people. They're just so much more pure and innocent. And we're just, we're just not built that way anymore. I don't think. (laughs) That actually makes a great segue into the podcast. And by the way, just so you know, I'm already recording because I don't have any intro and stuff like that. But okay. So the thing that I think both you and I like about dogs is they just stay on that bottom layer of Maslow's hierarchy of animal needs, which is, do I have some food? Do I have a little bit of shelter? And if there's a fire, well, I know where I'm sleeping tonight. And let me tell you, they're a whole lot happier than a lot of us because they aren't personal branding themselves. They aren't finding that need. Or when they do, they do it on a fire hydrant. Yeah, they're just, they're the way marketers need, which is simple. And we tend to overcomplicate things as marketers. If we could just get to like animal nature in ourselves, which sounds very like hedonistic, but I don't mean it that way. I just mean like if we could simplify everything, we'd be doing ourselves a much better service. Oh, yeah. I love to say branding is all about simple, but simple is hard. I mean, it's (laughs) really simple. So much harder. No, that's so true, though. Like now it's all about like the story and. Your, yeah, your personal brand and getting into the story of the data. Like the data can't even just be like stats anymore. It has to be like the story that it tells. And we just overcomplicated it. So we've gone yeah, well, way far. <laughs> no kidding. And one of my favorite tells is whenever anyone uses the word narrative, just ignore whatever else they say. The narrative <laughs> of the data is dictating our response to the marketplace. Here's how I use narrative. Like your narrative does not match with reality. That's how I use narrative. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, which used to be kind of summed up by saying, what is the color of the sky where you are? Yes. Yes. Well, but, but at the same time, the power of words is in its simplicity, but also in its ability to carry a whole lot of meaning in a very tight, cogent package. In fact, segue... B squared, your company has a little bit of a bumper sticker associated with it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Four words with a comma between the two clauses? Yes. Think conversation, not campaign. Think conversation, not campaign. And when I saw this, 
I was like, okay, now I get why you hang out with Mark Schaefer, because <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you, I'm a huge fan of Mark. He's been on the Nonfiction Brand Podcast before. And actually, he was our connection point because I've heard of you. I've followed you to a certain degree, but I never met you. However, because of a relationship that was created via conversation, a personal bridge was developed and extended to you. And now you're on the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. That's the power of conversation. And I'll be honest with you. Had you campaigned to be a guest on my podcast, I would probably say no, because I like to reach out to other people to bring them on rather than have people try to campaign their way onto it. Yes. You're shaking your head or nodding your head violently. What did I say that makes you go, yes? Because we have, and once again, we've gotten away from what it used to be, which was like a conversation or those relational links, right? Between people, your network. We've made everything all about the campaign. And I'm not saying campaigns don't work. I mean, we we do paid media. I know campaigns work. What I'm saying is it all starts, even that paid media campaign with a conversation, right? Even if it's all paid, they, you know, the, the research still shows that we have to hear that name or see that slogan or see that picture of that fuzzy sweater that we want, you know, seven plus times before it starts to really enter a realm of reality. So I think if we can try to start with the conversation and the relationship first, that will lead to better campaigns down the road. Well, don't you think some of that repetition is actually inanimate objects trying to create a conversation, which I I don't know. (laughs) I'm looking for shoes. Instagram knows I'm looking for shoes. All of a sudden. Always. It's yeah, (laughs) exactly. Always. It knows I am. (laughs) Exactly. And there are all these shoes trying to slide into my DMs. You know, they're trying to create a conversation with me to maybe create a relationship where we could get really intimate. And Mm -hmm. And I think that's what advertising and marketing repetition has been about forever, which is, well, we aren't humans, so we can't look at each other with a smile on our face and a gleam in our eyes and create that relationship. We're inanimate objects, so we have to do it another way. And that in the past and now happens to be repetition. Yeah. Well, an imagery can invoke a conversation, even though maybe it's not happening in real life or in real time, it can invoke a conversation that you're having with yourself, right? We have, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of internal dialogue. Oh my God. (laughs) I have have an entire thing going on in my head right now about dinner. Just saying. Yes, me too. I mean, you're probably like an overthinker, which I happen to be, which means there's a lot of conversations that we have about a lot of different things. But you know, when I see that picture on Instagram of those shoes in the setting that I'm in, or if a brand smartly uses user generated content or user reviews, like these shoes, these boots are the most comfortable boots I've ever worn, wore them for eight hours straight at a conference and my feet didn't hurt. So that conversation that they had, if they're using that as part of their paid media, that's going to immediately spark me to take interest because a, it's peer-to-peer, and B, they're hitting on what my conversation inside of my head sounds like. Like, ooh, I really like these boots, but I don't know. Can I wear them all day, or, or am I going to get blisters, or are my feet going to hurt, or whatever? Are you like me, an Instagram shopper who kind of goes, yep, yep, and then skips right to the certified purchaser reviews? Because yes. 
Oh my gosh. If I can find a guy who's six foot three plus, <laughs> yeah, I want to know what that guy thinks about whatever it is. Be because fit is such a hard thing to gauge. You know, you can say all day long that I'm this size. Yeah, well, this size from this specific manufacturer. But if I try on the wrong pair of pants that are sized exactly the same, they aren't going to fit. You know, so I consequently really appreciate the conversation that is asynchronous that someone had, which was I bought this thing. I am this size. It yes. fit me. And I'm on the other end of that conversation going, wow, dude, thanks for sharing. You just yeah. saved me money. <laughs> that internal dialogue is having a conversation with the reviewer. That's exactly right. Like, I love the brands who are getting more diverse, too, with the people that they choose. Right. It, it used to be it's all like size zero models who maybe like eat like a Tic Tac and a sprig of lettuce every week, you know, and I could never be her. I could never be that size double zero. So what I really appreciate now is when real sized models are used. And then, yes, that might grab my attention, but then I'm also going to go through and check on those reviews. And when I see, you know, a woman who's a size six or a size eight saying like, hey, this is the size six is an actual size six, you know, whereas some stores I feel like nowadays with your, what you're saying with fit is where they may have a size six on the label, but it's really a size four and nobody's sizing matches anybody else's size, you know, and that's a whole other conversation, but that's really what really what grabs my attention. I'm having that inner dialogue with myself and then I'm purchasing. That's the whole thing. You hit the key word, which is dialogue. Die, meaning two. It requires two, if not more, to engage in the conversation that actually imparts information via story and narrative. <laughs> yes. This episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is brought to you by my new book, Nonfiction Brand. Discover, craft, and communicate the completely true, completely you brand you already are, now available on Amazon.com. Jay Baer, best-selling author of Talk Triggers, said, The book is outstanding. Highly recommended. A spectacularly useful guide to personal branding that pulls off the difficult trick of being both realistic and inspirational. A must-read, regardless of where you are in your own brand-building journey. To get your copy, head on over to Amazon.com and search Nonfiction Brand. And let's get you all the credit you deserve for the completely true, completely you brand you already are. I guess we can use narrative, but really, I mean, I feel like what we're talking about is so simple. Again, it's like we've we've made it so much harder than it needs to be. This is what I tell people who talk about customer experience all the time, right? That's like the sexy buzz, buzzword right now, customer experience. And customer experience means like they that they have to roll out the red carpet and top every single experience. And that's just not scalable. What I think customer experience is, is removing a gap, a touch point from each customer experience, simplifying the process for the customer. That is customer experience. You're talking about taking the friction out, finding every possible trip point, every possible obstacle, removing it, making it simple. And dare I say, it just works. You know, longtime listeners of the nonfiction brand podcast will know that I own stock in Apple because I love their products, everything Apple, all day long. <laughs> and, you know, frankly, some Android people think I'm an idiot for overpaying, mm -hmm. to which I say, au mm -hmm. contraire, mon frere, I'm not <laughs> overpaying. I am absolutely right paying to a company that understands what I want. And again, you may have heard this on the podcast before, listeners. 
I started with computers right after the Stone Age. I mean, Fred Flintstone was booting up with his two feet while I was booting up on twin floppies. I didn't even have a hard drive. They were twin floppy wow. drives. So don't give me this crap about, oh, you just want a user experience that, you, you know, blah, blah. No, I used to have to go into config.sys files just to get the dang thing to work. Guess yeah. what? I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> right. And there's something to be said, though. Yeah, about that simplicity, like Apple Pay. Oh, my gosh. When I got oh, introduced yeah. to Apple Pay, that was like life changing for yeah. me. Just like a click of a button. It was also life changing for my husband because when I got hit with those shoe ads on Instagram, it was right. one click to buy. <laughs> yeah. But guess what? When marketing is working right, it's not necessarily forcing you to buy something you don't want. It's introducing you to something that you might desire mightily. And it can yeah. cause problems, but big boys and girls learn to cope with those issues and eventually pay off that credit card and maybe have a little bit more discipline. But here's the thing. If you're a marketer of anything, including yourself and your personal brand, are you really going to say, you know what? I'm only going to try to get the transaction 56 percent. I'm, I'm going to hold back a little bit because maybe they can't afford my services. It's like, no, you're going to say, this not. is who I am. This is how, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm literally putting on lipstick which normally I reserve for weekends, but I'm literally putting on lipstick to try to appear as attractive and yet relevant. You know, it's because, again, I'm not talking about the fakey influencer type of personal branding. I'm talking about the real human being personal branding, which says, you know what, this is what I do and you may not like it. Yeah, I think that's such a journey for people, right? Especially if they do have a personal brand is like figuring out who your audience is, right? Which is actually different than who you think it is or maybe even who's on your list. And then also saying no, saying no to people who don't fit, you know, like the square peg in the round hole. I feel like that's another mistake that a lot of people make is trying to say yes to everything or trying to make it fit instead of getting like absolute about like, here are my services. I can refer you to someone if you want something outside of that, AKA no. <laughs> I will often say, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, the most powerful word in branding is no. No, we're not going to do that. No, we're not going to associate with that trend or that shiny object. No, we're, we're not going to hire that influencer because we don't know six months from now if that influencer is going to go off on a drug-fueled bender and totally destroy our brand. I mean, you take a look at the biggest brands in the world and they don't go near influencer types. And I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying it's branded because brands are very concerned about their story, which is accumulated over decades, if not centuries for some brands. Yeah. Yeah. We have a client who goes more after advocates than influencers. And these advocates you could call influencers because they're bringing in a ton of impressions, engagement, money for the brand. But these are people who they vetted extremely carefully who were already advocates of using their products, who had their own personal brand using their products and then brought them all into the fold. So it's very like holistic and organic the way they look at it. It's not like Kim K and a, and a million dollars a post to use their product, which wouldn't be a fit anyway. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, again, talking about Apple, I know that there is a photographer that I follow who specializes in doing photography on iPhones, 
every time a new iPhone comes out, I look forward to seeing Austin Mann's review of it. And, you know, he's a travel photographer. So when they give him a new one, he goes to Iceland and he's going to shoot landscapes with an iPhone. And you're going to see how stuff awful. That, well, yeah, you're going to see stuff that makes you just drool if you're into photography and, and artistic kind of a plus fine photography. And at the same time, all he's doing is he's demonstrating his personal brand, which is I am Austin Mann. You aren't going to see pictures of 20 year olds at Cabo St. Lucas wearing a bikini. You're going to see landscapes of Iceland with geysers and hot springs and volcanoes and all this stuff. And he makes a promise to his viewers of what they can expect to see. And yet he associates his brand with Apple, which I think is this mutually beneficial, truly symbiotic relationship. And it's not like they can't exist on their own. They absolutely do. It's just that when they come together, they create this thing that is kind of exciting and transcendent for someone like me. But you hit, your mileage yes. might vary. No, you hit the nail on the head. I love what you're saying. I mean, if, if more brands could take that approach, like, hey, it's like any good relationship, right? Like, this is what I always said about getting married. It took me a really long time to get married, by the way, even though I'm Southern. <laughs> well, me too. So I hear what you're saying. <laughs> But you should be able to exist on your own as two people or as two brands. And when you come together, you create this amazing thing together. But if you go apart again, for whatever reason, you can still stand on your own. That, oh my gosh, that is the playbook for influ influencer marketing right there. That's it. And then how simple is that? It's not, it's not convoluted. It's not overcomplicated. It's simple. Now, you said some of your clients use not influencers, but... Or did you Advocate. say advocates now? Mm -hmm. So how does that play out? I mean, these people have developed a personal brand and audience uh, fans, maybe even a tribe of rabid fans. And then a brand reaches out to them and says, what? Like, hey, do you want a partner? So we see that you're using our, in this particular case, I, I can mention the brand. It's Brother International. So they do printers, label makers, sewing machines. And they do a lot more for their home appliances division, which would be the sewing machines, but soon to be label makers as well. They reach out to these people who are, you know, suists. I mean, they're, they're, they're people who have like literal sewing communities who watch them make things with their sewing machine. It just so happens that the sewing machine that they would use would be a product of brothers. It's a brother sewing machine. So they're, they were very smart and that they went after people who will be advocates of these machines. They already had a built-in passion for the brand. That was the product that they used. They already had a built-in audience. It, there was nothing fake about it. It was very organic, right? So then they go to, to Brooke and they say, Hey, Brooke, we noticed that you use our XYZ sewing machine to build XYZ. We'd love to partner with you. What do you think about creating content for a Facebook Live? It could be, you know, follow these parameters and these rules. A lot of them during the pandemic were like making masks with certain patterns or whatnot. Right, right. So that content for them, I mean, they do at least one Facebook live a week with different advocates that they have. And you wouldn't even believe the amount of reach, engagement, product sales and whatnot, the retargeting that we can use just based on this advocacy program. Longtime listeners of the pod will recognize Neil Schaefer as a, a big friend. He's been on a couple of times. 
and he's written a book about influencers and he talks about nano influencers. And I think the range he puts on it is they have anywhere from a thousand followers to 10,000 followers. Mm-hmm. And you're like 10,000 followers. Are you kidding me? Someone's spending money on someone who has 10,000 followers or even a thousand. And the, his answer is, yeah, if they're the yeah. right people, because uh, let's just say a uh, brother sewing machine costs $500 for the Mm -hmm. top of the line kind of quilter quality machine. $500 is not inconsequential and it's not the type of thing bottom feeders who want the lowest price are going to want to shell out for. Overstock.com, go look for one there. But if you are a fan of a specific individual who is performing at a very high level, Mm -hmm. are you going to short yourself on what you use if you see what they're using and go, you know what? I can afford 300. I bet you I can stretch and make 500 because that's what's my advocate who has proven themselves to me over and over again. If they're using that, I want to be like them. I want to make sure I have a quality product. I'm going to reach to make $500 instead of buy the $300 one I can afford. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they also are so smart about who they go after. So it's not just like, you know, not to be stereotypical, but when you think about someone using a sewing machine, you're probably thinking of like a middle-aged or older white woman. And that is not who their advocacy partners are made up of. There's a dad, a single dad who has a couple of daughters who was trying to figure out how to make costumes for his daughters, grew a big fan base doing it. They make sure that they use a lot of people of color, of different backgrounds, you know, so they're, they're really... They put a lot of thought about who they bring on so that they're not just covering that middle-aged or older white female demographic. They're hitting everybody out there in the crafting world who might be, you know, sewing. Well, you know, it goes back to the real revolution. And Mark talks about this in some of his books about how it used to be broadcast. It used to be one size fits all 30 second TV spot or a 60 second radio spot. Everybody listened to it. Everybody could quote it. You know, we all knew the two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, <laughs> onion, on sesame seed bun. Yes. Because yes. we had that drilled into our heads. Yeah. But, he, but here's the thing now, instead of spending big dollars for a big audience and then have to hit them again and again and again and again, what I'm hearing you talk about is a different mentality, which is we're going to go smaller but farther. So we have an influencer or an advocate who might be into cosplay. Like one of my daughters happens to be terribly. Yes, that is one of their advocates. Yes, of course it is. Some of the (laughs) listeners of this podcast are going cosplay. What's cosplay? And that's the point. You don't have to know what it is. Right. Cosplayers do. And when they do, they look at certain individuals and it's not a huge universe. But those superstars of that universe are burning at a white hot. Passionate. Yes. Yes. And if they show that they're using this machine for this to do this, guess what? Credit cards are being popped open and Mm -hmm. applied to purchase that product. And again, influencers, very small. (laughs) Like I was talking to my daughter who, who goes to cons all the time and cosplays. And she talks about her friends who get free contact lenses. And I'm like, free contact lenses. Oh, like like the colored or their specialty. Yes. 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 Because part of cosplay is if you're doing cosplay as a cat, you want to have cat eyes. Yes. If you want to appear like an alien, you use different things. 
And so these little or what appear to be small influencers or advocates are getting a free box of colored contact lenses so that every time they take that photo that appears on Instagram, by the way, cosplay Mm -hmm. on Instagram is crazy. All their fans are going, oh, where'd you get those, those, where'd you get those contact lenses or what brand is Yes. And boom, that's how it's happening. But again, I want to go back to your thesis statement on your website. Think conversation, not campaign. When you say not campaign, define campaign for our listeners. I think it's, it's selling first. That's the campaign. Your goal for the campaign ultimately is selling first. And if that's, you know, I'm not saying you can't do well with a selling first campaign. I'm saying you can do far better with a conversation first campaign. Well, and all you have to do for a, an example of a selling first campaign, just look on your social feeds. You got all these oh, guys God. leaning up against Lamborghinis with fat stacks of cash. Talk oh, seven figure income. All you got to do is follow my course. That's selling first. And by the way, if you give them the money, you're going to be so disappointed. You are not going to build a relationship. What you're talking about, conversations create relationship. And as I have said on this podcast numerous times, a lifelong relationship can have thousands of transactions all along the way. And that's what a brand is about. A brand doesn't care about the one-time transaction. They want the life time customer yes what is that what is that metric yeah and i would a lifetime customer value oh lifetime customer value lifetime customer value mm-hmm. and then i would take it a step further too and just say to yourself like so this is gonna i'm gonna get super nerdy on you for like two minutes there was a a social study done by two social psychologists back in the 60s altman and taylor and essentially they said that humans form relationships through conversation And there are actually several different levels of conversation, right? So the first level is cliche. And this is where we see a lot of brands and their campaigns sitting. It may not be selling first, but it's cliche, right? And cliche conversations don't actually form relationships. Second type of conversation would be factual. I'm giving you facts. You're giving me facts. We're going beyond cliches, but we're not really getting to the nitty gritty. This rarely forms relationships. Thoughts and opinions. Now we're getting deep, right? You're giving me some thoughts. You're giving me some opinions. We're forming a relationship of what you say jives with what I think. I'm going to trust you a little bit more. We're going to start to build that relationship. And then the fourth level is feelings. If you can get into feelings with your campaign, your conversation, that's where the magic happens. Yeah, that's so true. And all you have to think about is, now, I haven't been on a first date in, it'll be 30 <laughs> years. Uh, no, no, 28. Congrats. Something like that. Yeah, thank you. But I do remember that first date, which was, <laughs> well, as a young man, I always went for the sale first. I was selling mm-hmm. hard. But then I learned, oh, best thing I can do is sit across the table, ask a question, and listen with eye contact. I didn't even have to really pay attention but if I had eye contact and nodded my head, mm-hmm. uh, that, <laughs> the conversions on that type of engagement were far more lucrative. <laughs> yes. I, I hate to say it, but true. But you're right. Again, and if you think about it, 
You're peeling off the layers of Maslow's hierarchy, you know, self-actualization. No, no, no. Let's get down to that layer down where the dogs live with the food, the, the warmth, the shelter. As a human being, if you provide food in the form of conversation and warmth mm -hmm. and shelter, help, you know, indicate that you are with that person, supporting them. Oh, my God. I got to come up with a whole thing called Maslow's Marketing. That's what it is. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's a it's a pyramid without a pyramid. Yeah. I mean, it's so true, though. Like, it's funny. Like when I look at a lot of campaigns, a lot of them just sit at those upper two levels. And then and then you when you see brands who go deep to that feeling like so I'll again, I'll, I'll go with a 2020 example. A lot of there was a lot of social justice issues going on and brands either got lambasted for going out with their campaign or they got praise for going out with their campaign. And I think the brands who went out and did it, as it was cliche. It was factual. You know, they were trying to take a stand, but they didn't quite get there, got in trouble. And the brands who went out there and said, wow, uh, you know, here's what we're going to actually do. Here's how we feel about this. Like the brands who really took a stand and got to that fourth level of this is how we feel about this terrible situation. We might lose some people talking about how we feel about this and what we're going to do about it. But hey, okay, because that's not our audience anyway. Those brands like kicked butt. They totally kicked butt. That's the that's the big differentiator. There was cliche and fact, and then there was opinions and feelings. And opinions and feelings won out every time. Well, nonfiction branders, I think you can see that Brooke and I are in violent agreement about stuff. And that's not surprising because... As I say, I invite people on my podcast. I don't seek people to come on. And so the the way the connection was, was Mark Schaefer to Brooke Sellis to me. And that's all based on mutual respect, mutual concern, mutual caring. And now I'm finding out, oh, my God, I love Brooke Sellis. I had no idea. But now I do because we Feeling engage. Work. Why do I feel this way? <laughs> because we've engaged in say it with me conversation and we're going to continue this conversation next week with Brooke Sellis of B squared media. And I want to let people know how they can follow you. Is there a social media channel that you're most active on or perhaps another way that people can connect with you? Yes. Twitter for sure. I'm just at Brooke Sellis, B R O O K E S E L L A S. You can actually Google me Brooke and I think I'm the only Brooke Sellis that I know of uh, so far. So uh, you could go there or you could just go to bsquare.media, which is our website. It's got all of our social channels listed there. Well, very good. And let me tell you, you can tell really entertaining person, really smart person. I think there's a lot there to get to know better. And I'm thinking the best way to get to know her better is via conversation. So that's it for this week's episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. I am, of course, DP Knutin, your host, and she is Brooke Sellis. And we'll be talking at you again next week. Bye-bye.